Welcome to Tripod, Improved Photography's Nature Photography Podcast. This show is for the weekend photo warriors. The carry-on is heavier than the checked bag travelers and the tripod grave diggers. This is Tripod. Hey guys, welcome back to Tripod. This week we're going to be talking about shooting in winter conditions and why. And to help me talk about that, we have Majid Badazad again. How's it going, man? What's going on, Nick? Not too much. I bought a new car and I'm really excited about it. I saw. <laughs> I've, I've been I've been looking for every single excuse to like either drive somewhere or just like sit in my car for hours at a time. <laughs> I finally got the cool car that everybody compliments me on. It's pretty sweet. I like the rims. Yeah. So I got a black Tahoe, which officially makes me cool. Just so you guys know, I want <laughs> you guys to know that I'm cool now. It's okay. I'm, I'm cool. Same. Cool is the other side of the pillow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So part of the reason I, I wanted to get a Tahoe is because I've been doing so much wintertime driving that I need a four wheel drive. That's kind of what this show is about. So Majid, why should people go out and get really cold and shoot in wintertime conditions? Well, being warm is overrated for one, but there's some really cool things that happen um, out in nature when it's cold, especially for a long period of time. Um, ice build up, snowpack builds up, and things just take on a completely different look. W- what would you say your favorite thing about shooting winter is? Well, when you get lots of snow, for one thing, it has a tendency to just like simplify everything. You know, you can take this landscape that is really complex with all of those rocks and bushes and trees and you add a thick layer of snow to it and it just simplifies everything. It makes it just makes it simpler to look at. And it has kind of this like cleansing effect as well. Fresh snow makes everything look clean and pristine. And I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the coolest things, one of the challenges is if you don't have um, a sky to work with, like any sort of color in the sky, it actually oversimplifies. Sometimes it makes everything extremely monochromatic. So everything's just white and then brown or black. Yeah. The, the weather conditions definitely kind of control what it is you're going to be shooting that day. If you're getting a, one of those days, that's just a gray sky. It doesn't make for the good, you know, wide landscape shot on days like that. I like to focus in on like, you know, little vignettes of the landscape, little uh, micro landscapes and textures and stuff like that, because you like you've mentioned before, Majid, it, the sky turns into a huge softbox and you just got, you have that nice soft light, which is really great for textures sometimes. The flip side of the coin is if you do get any sort of light, like um, when you and I were out at Smith Rock, Nick, um, and we had a really nice sunset. Um, Smith Rock is just over in eastern Oregon. There was a nice about, oh, what, 16 inches of snow and pretty untouched. And as the sun set, the sky turned multiple shades of red, orange, yellow, and the snow picked that up really well, even better than a typical dirt and rock landscape would pick it up. So the flip side of it is if you actually do get light, it's even more interesting and more rare. Because uh, all that white snow just reflects back all of that color. And you can end up with some of the most colorful shots of of the entire year because you, you get that that landscape that is reflecting back all of those colors shooting in the wintertime definitely is not as comfortable as shooting in the summertime. There's a lot of 
fair weather photographers out there. And that's one of <laughs> my biggest reasons for trying to go out and shoot as much as I can. And during the winter months is because it's a way of kind of setting my stuff apart from all those fair weather photographers, because I'll actually go out to those spots and try to get shots um, during conditions that are a little bit more harsh. So what are some of the things that we can do to kind of make make the whole experience a little bit more comfortable as far as gear and stuff like that. Well, one is you can go out and you can buy a pimp mobile. <laughs> yes. Which would be the black Chevy Tahoe Z71. <laughs> <laughs> but if that's not in the budget for this year, you can definitely really understand what you're getting yourself into. So you need to understand what the roads are probably going to be like. You need to prepare for the worst case scenario. So you can look at detailed forecasts, and really not just the forecast of the city near where you're going to be, but actually look at the elevation where you might be. So if you're at a higher elevation, it could be considerably colder. Mm -hmm. Staying on top of forecasts, not only does that tell us like what we're in for, but it also kind of tells us whether it's going to be fruitful or not anyways, because a lot of times the best time to shoot these wintertime scenes are just after a storm. You know, during the storm, you pretty much can't shoot. <laughs> you can't shoot in just a, a downpour of, of snow, you know, a blizzard, but you can shoot right afterwards. And right afterwards is when you're going to get the cleanest snow, uh, the freshest snow, and hopefully there's not going to be tons of tracks and stuff through it. So right afterwards, that's going to tell us when, as far as special gear that we need, obviously warm layers, you know, like warm coat, warm hat, warm gloves. The three things that I find are the most important things to keep warm, because if they get cold, they just like end your shoot instantly are your feet, your hands and your ears. If your ears get cold, you're just miserable. So a nice winter hat helps as well. What, what about you, Majid? Yeah, I would tend to agree with all those. And the one thing I would add is really to have that wool cap or beanie that helps insulate just the head in general. And you can put over the ears. The preparation you do as far as the gear you buy before going out and shooting in the cold is going to make the difference of how long and how comfortable it is to shoot in the cold. Wintertime clothing can be really expensive as well. So it's kind of one of those things where you build it up over time. You know, uh, if we start throwing brands out there, you don't have to buy all of this stuff immediately. Like you kind of build up your kit because you don't wear it very often. And for that reason, it lasts a long time. So when you do buy something, buy something nice. That way it's going to last you, you know, five or six years or even longer. What's my favorite thing to say? <laughs> buy nice or buy twice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just how exactly, he says like it that. exactly. exactly like that. <laughs> um, so as far as like recommending specific things, one of my favorite purchases that I've made lately is this warm hat that I got. It's a trapper hat. It's made by what is it? Fox fur. No, it's it's made by wiki. What's nice about it is it's it's really thick. It's really heavy. It's got fur that goes over your ears. It's even got a mask that comes in front of your mouth. That way you can keep your nose and face uh, warm as well. We'll put links in the show notes to all this stuff. And what I like the most about this is I think it's on sale for like 17 bucks right now. And it, it when you put it on, it feels like a $50 hat. It's really Is nice. this the one that makes you look like Sub-Zero? Yes. Yes. I very <laughs> much look straight out of Mortal Kombat. Fatality. And when I fold the ears up, I, I look like I need to be doing a Russian dance, you know? 
like the, <laughs> the crossing the arms thing. But warm hats are awesome and they can't be overrated. Another thing that I've I love that I've bought recently is just a merino wool undershirt. It's a all merino wool, so it's really soft, but it's really warm. And this is a pricier item. This is like a $65 thing. It's made by minus 33. It's kind of like a uh, long john top, only it's made of merino wool. It's not scratchy, and it's even warmer than that. So I have the same merino wool base layer. We were just on um, the east side of Mount Hood doing a hike in about uh, probably nine degrees Fahrenheit. So very, very cold. And I'm sitting um, at the car getting ready, um, putting on all these layers, um, Columbia reflective base layer, um, Columbia reflective alternative down, merino wool layer, Columbia vest, like just really getting getting prepared to go into subarctic freezing temperatures. And about three minutes into the hike, I was sweating. <laughs> so because a lot of materials don't breathe. So when you're actually moving, the only layer that I needed, even in that cold, cold of a temperature was the merino wool. And it was amazing how it kept me warm, but also it breathed at the same time. And this is why you need to dress in layers because the, the most difficult situation is when you have to hike to a location in cold temperatures and you get hot as you hike there and then you get there and then you get cold because you just got done sweating and you're soaking wet. So one of the things that I prefer to do is like, if I have to hike into a spot, I'm a sweater because <laughs> I'm a large guy. So I'll take my jacket off. I'll, I'll strap it to the back of my bag and then I'll, I'll do the hike in less clothing. And then once I get to my spot, then I'll put the, you know, all the warm stuff back on that way I haven't overheated and got all sweaty, but breathing layers is really, really important. Yeah. And the sweating is the natural mechanism for your body to cool itself down. The problem is when it's nine degrees outside, as soon as you stop moving, your body's overcompensated for the amount of heat and the sweat is actually going to make you much colder, much faster. So if I could recommend anything, I would say make sure you shed layers before you're sweating. Right. So speaking of staying dry, shoes are important. Um, the, this same week that we're talking about, we, we went to the Oneonta Gorge in the Columbia river gorge. I d did not anticipate having to get wet. So I was just wearing my normal hiking shoes. I wasn't wearing my, my fancy, uh, knee high neoprene socks. And I fell through the ice at a, a spot and soaked my leg all the way up to the knee. And because of how cold it was, it wasn't even five minutes until my foot was hurting. Like it was so cold, it hurt. Um, if you're in any kind of situation whatsoever where you think you might be getting your feet wet, make sure that you're wearing something waterproof and something taller than what you think you need. And just to expand on what Nick just said. So basically the Oneona Gorge has become extremely popular in the past few years, uh, mainly because photographers, lifestyle photographers, that type of thing have shared this place on social media and it just draws these huge crowds. So it's a place that's getting loved to death. So even on an extreme winter weather, there's still people all over the place. And what was fascinating and what made this a historic and unique experience was the entire gorge was frozen over. We're talking 190 foot walls on both sides with icicles 60 feet long and the stream itself was snowpack and ice so you could actually walk out all the way to the waterfall at the end of the gorge without getting wet 
theoretically. And, and, there, <laughs> and there's, yeah, theoretically. And there's some stretches there where that, you know, the river at that, that narrowest point is about, I don't know, four and a half, five feet deep. Normally it's like at or least deeper or deeper. Yeah. And it's normally chest deep and people, it was starting to warm up. We were on kind of the back half of, of this really cold snap and heavy people like me were starting to fall through every third step. Before I put on my neoprene socks, I was absolutely miserable. I actually had to walk all the way back to the car, completely change what I was dressed in, and then re-hike out there. And the second time, I was fine because I was wearing my knee-high boundary socks. So when I fell through, it wasn't the end of the world. Before I put on my waterproof stuff, it was. I was... You know, had I been further away from the car, it it would have been like frostbite kind of conditions because wet feet get very, very cold. It's very, very important that you do not underestimate how quickly your limbs will basically give up, like especially your fingers and toes. Essentially, your body goes into um, an emergency mode and is only concerned about keeping your vital organs warm so you don't die which means that the priority for heat and blood flow goes away from your fingers and toes. So in Nick's situation, um, when he's starting to feel numbness, then that's definitely um, an urgent safety concern. And the tricky thing about shooting in the cold is that you don't feel it. It's not like a burn or some sort of painful thing. It's just a numbness. So it's the lack of feeling that is the first warning sign. Imagine you're you being out on a very long hike and your feet go numb. That turns into a safety issue in itself, because if you can't feel your legs, you can't really hike very well. Right. So then you become a falling hazard. So getting back to keeping extremities warm. Let's talk about gloves. I personally absolutely love the Valorette uh, photography gloves. I've used them for a couple of years now. And this year they came out in 2017. They came out with a new line of gloves and included in this new line are some merino wool liners that go underneath the gloves. And then they also have two different models. They have the model that Majid has, which is, uh, I want to say it's just kind of the pro model. It's kind of the, the standard model where all the fingers are separate. And then they have the model that I have, which is the trigger model, which is kind of like this half and half mitten glove thing where your pointer finger and your thumb are separate, but the other three fingers are in a mitten. And what I love about that is when it's really, really cold, if I wear those liners underneath and then I put those on, my hand stays very, very warm. And when it gets really, really cold, there's plenty of room to put in a hand warmer in there with my three fingers. So I can keep my hands very, very warm and still operate my camera. I, Majid, I gave you a pair of gloves. What do you what do you think of those so far? I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, by far, I've gone through a number of pair of gloves and um, the Valorette gloves are by far the best gloves for warmth and for functionality. The really ingenious thing about um, the specific model is they have magnets behind your thumb and point in your index finger. So you can pull the glove back. You'll have exposed thumb and finger and everything else is warm. So you can operate smartphone. You can operate your camera with precision. And then once you're done, you can basically pull pull up the magnet um, and put it back over your finger. So it's it's really well-made, um, heavy duty, and 
couldn't say more good things about them. That's a, that's the thing is like most glove. There's lots of warm gloves out there. You can grab any ski glove in the world and and ha- keep your hands warm. But the problem is you can't operate your camera very well with those exactly. warm gloves. So normally you like have to take that glove off, you know, change the settings on your camera and then put the glove back on. And these gloves are a nice trade off between being able to function your camera, being able to operate your camera and being able to have a nice warm glove like a ski glove. So I absolutely love those. Before we get away from gear, um, one more thing that I would recommend is definitely stock up on hand warmers and foot warmers. Um, These are just little packets um, that essentially once they're exposed to air, they turn into a little bit, a little heat pocket where you can shove them in your pocket. You can put them in your gloves. You can put them in your shoes and essentially they're going to be like little space heaters wherever you put them. And when you're talking about extreme cold, that is a definite morale boost to have that. In fact, on one of my trips recently, when it was down to about when it was sub 10 degrees, my phone, even in my pocket, was actually starting to malfunction. This is an iPhone 7 plus. Um, Essentially, all the animations were slowing down. Um, The cold was essentially hindering the phone's ability to operate. What I ended up doing was put a hand warmer inside the pocket so so that the phone wasn't getting <laughs> so cold. This kind of almost counts as clothing, but it kind of is transitioning over into other types of gear. Uh, crampons are the best thing ever when you're shooting in cold conditions where you're dealing with ice or packed snow. When you're hiking on packed snow on a slope, it is really slick and you don't really want to fall with all of your photography gear strapped to your back. Crampons, it's amazing how much traction they can give you, even if it's not ice, even if it's just kind of muddy, slushy, snowy conditions where traction is an issue. Crampons can help so much. Anywhere where traction is an issue, even um, wet rocks, for example, um, there's plenty of places where you end up walking around for landscape photography, where you end up walking around in a stream or um, scaling a wall with wet drips coming over it. And you go from really every step being sort of a risk to feeling very confident in your step because you just have so much more purchase. Yeah. I, I, I personally, I'm going to start packing them even in the spring when I'm, I know I'm going to be hiking in mud because even in mud, they help. It's amazing. Yeah. I love I'm absolutely in love with crampons. I know Nick got a specific brand. I grabbed the Yak Tracks Pro Traction Cleats. Um, you can find them on Amazon for under $20. One of the best purchases for by far for winter shooting. Yeah. And mine are they're V Dealen. V-D-E-A-L-E-N. And mine are like a longer spike. They're probably like a solid inch long spike. Um, far more aggressive than the chain style. And mine ran about 20 bucks as well. But I was really happy with the traction they offered. So one of the things where we want to look at when we're going out into the cold and we've kind of touched on this is just safety considerations. This isn't really like it's all fun and games until some actually falls in the water like Nick did or tell somebody twists an ankle and you're out um, half a mile on a hike. Um, so the risk is um, much greater because emergency services would have a hard, harder time theoretically getting to you. And the longer you're out in the cold and exposed, probably the more um, chance you have 
for hypothermia and frostbite and other bad things. Yeah, so this is one of those times where you definitely want to let people know where you're going and when you should be back. A lot of the just standard safety stuff really comes into play in the wintertime because you know, the, these places aren't getting the amount of traffic that they normally do. And the likelihood that somebody will see you diminishes, you know, you don't want to be all alone on some abandoned trail for days when it's nine degrees <laughs> with best, a broken leg. The best thing you can do is shoot with someone or multiple people, because um, if you can stick together, then there's some power in numbers there where essentially if someone did get hurt, they can either help you out, contact emergency services, get to a place with cell phone service. I've been watching a little bit of Bear Grylls lately. And one, oh, of, the, Love that guy. one of the cool things that I got and it was like eight dollars, but are just like the little flint steel uh, fire starters, th- little things like that. I feel like when we're doing longer hikes or hikes in vicious conditions, uh, we should start packing some of that stuff. Also, a tiny little uh, first aid kit is wise to start packing with you anytime that you're going on a longer hike in cold conditions like this. You know, just some of those safety things that sometimes during during those spring and summer months we we tend to neglect. But they get a little bit more important in the wintertime because if something bad happens, it usually goes a lot worse for you. One thing that is a that barely adds any weight to my bag is um, that I carry with me all the time is a life straw. Um, This is a basically a piece of plastic with a multiple filtration system where essentially if you get into a situation where you're close to water, but you're very far away from people or services or for some reason you're in a situation where you need to drink water, you could drink out of a stream without concern of getting sick or with a heavily reduced risk of getting sick. Um, That's kind of some of the safety stuff. Let's talk about some of the challenges of actually physically shooting in the, in the cold. We went to the Columbia river gorge because there was lots of water. There was lots of stuff, you know, all of the water around the waterfalls were freezing creating long icicles and stuff. But along with that, you still have the spray that happens And when that spray hits you and it's, you know, 10 degrees out, it just instantly freezes on your gear, on your camera stuff. So one of the things that I like to do is to bring a towel with me. That way I can cover the top of my my camera and dry it off quickly. That or some kind of uh, water protection device, you know, just a, a simple rain cover will help a lot to keep some of that frozen water from freezing up and sticking on your camera. Yeah. In a matter of moments, um, when I was shooting a waterfall just a couple of weeks ago, a drip of water would hit the front of my lens and I'd go just in the time to reach into my pocket to grab the microfiber cloth to wipe off the water to the time that I reached to the lens, the drop had turned into ice. So instead of microfiber cloth i need an ice scraper (laughs) right exactly and that stuff is not very good for your camera gear either because by the in order to dry it off you have first have to thaw it so you then you have to put it close to something warm and then all that water just seeps in you're much better off to just try to keep that stuff off of your camera even if you're somebody like me that tends to like you know not get too picky about keeping your camera dry at all times when you're in those cold conditions, it's really important too. also. One, oh, go ahead. Uh, one thing that 
you want to keep in mind is in the extreme cold batteries are going to drain very very quickly and sony uh this is the system i'm shooting right now already has a reputation for horrible battery life so if you add in the element of extreme cold um you're talking about very very poor battery performance essentially um just like us batteries like to be warm yeah and so what I'll do is I'll take my my next battery because I know that I'm always going to have to be swapping batteries when I'm shooting like that. So I'll take that next one. And I'll put it in my pocket, which will be warmer than my camera bag. Ideally, next to, you know, a hand warmer or something that's going to like at least give that next battery a fighting chance when I first put it in because you just fly through batteries. One of the things to consider is even if it's cold, there could still be lots of moisture. And with moisture, moisture is going to eventually work its way into the camera. So keeping the camera as dry as possible um, will help you avoid malfunctioning equipment. And then there comes the the whole issue of like, if you're getting in and out of the car often, and you're going from that warm car to that cold outside or that, you know, the cold temperature outside back into the warm car, make sure that you're putting it inside your camera bag and zipping it up. The reason for that is because if your camera is changing temperatures quickly and drastically like that, condensation is just going to build like crazy on your camera and on your lens and on the inside of your lens, inside of your camera. It's not good for your gear at all. Eventually that all that moisture is going to turn to mold, you know, months down the road. So put your gear inside your camera bag when you go to hop in the car, or go back to your hotel or, or home or whatever, and let it warm up very slowly and very gradually. And that's going to minimize the amount of condensation that happens. And another reason that I love shooting in the wintertime is because it takes those cold wintertime conditions generally to create those low fog, you know, low cloud misty shots that you get sometimes where, you know, you go up to the top of a vista and then you have that valley that's filled with fog and, and low clouds. That only that kind of stuff only happens in, you know, late, late fall, early spring, winter time when you get those really strong inversions. And a lot of times what I love about a lot of weather apps is they'll actually give you a warning saying, hey, there's an inversion warning for air stagnation. And they're doing it because of pollution generally in big cities. But when you get out into nature, that means low, low clouds fog and beautiful conditions a lot of times. So if you do get those warnings, it's a great time to go up to your favorite Vista and try to shoot some of those uh, low cloud misty shots. One of the things that I would say just as a general um, tip here for shooting in the cold, um, we touched on forecasts. I also like to look at how long it's been sub freezing. And if there's a stretch of time, there's cold for a long period of time, especially sub freezing, then I know that's going to that's going to um, especially around waterfalls and in other water features, it's going to give time for ice to build up. So when you see when you see a stretch of extremely cold weather for multiple days, you know that probably that fifth day into that 15 degree Fahrenheit high you're going to have the most ice buildup before it warms up again. And you can kind of hear by the way we're talking that we're from the Pacific Northwest where we actually get excited about cold weather because <laughs> it's not, it's not generally the norm, especially on the West side of the state or, you know, in the Columbia river gorge area, 
really the reason that cold weather can be so interesting to photograph is because it is a condition that is abnormal. It's different than the normal. And if you lived in Siberia, you probably would not be quite as excited about cold conditions and wintertime photography because that becomes the norm. Kind of the moral of the story is trying to get out when the conditions are different than normal, because those are what lead to the more interesting photographs, especially if we're talking about a heavily photographed location like the Columbia River Gorge, where everybody and their dog has a photo from Multnomah Falls, especially during those summer and spring months. But what maybe they don't have are those shots that were taken during a 10 year cold snap that you know, only happens once every 10 years. Those special winter conditions or those special abnormally warm or cold conditions. Those are what lead to the the photographs that are special and have a little bit more longevity, I think. All right. Well, hopefully this gives you a little bit of inspiration to get out and shoot when it gets just bitterly cold. Sometimes that leads to the best photographs. And I know that my portfolio has uh, grown quite a bit in the last couple months because we've gotten such unique, interesting conditions. So here are some of our recommendations for cold weather gear and stuff. Thank you guys so much. If you would like to follow us on social media, go over to Instagram, do a search for Jim Harmer, Nick Page Photography, or Majid Badazadigan, and you can find us there. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next time.